you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. An excellent wife. Who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonour, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. All right, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Great to be with you, City on a Hill. I hope you're enjoying spring. The sun is shining. Wonderful to be with you. Uh, We're joining live with City on a Hill Wollongong. We put our hands together and thank the Lord for them. And great if you're here new or visiting. Uh, We are in this series in the book of Proverbs where a father sits down with his son uh, to share experience and wisdom to help his boy live well. And already we've looked at some great topics. We've looked at the topic of friendship. We've talked about family. Uh, Today, of course, we're talking about the topic of marriage. Uh, My wife and I have uh, four children, two boys, two girls, and a rabbit, and uh, we love to talk to our kids about marriage. We love, you know, the family dinner table to get the wedding album out and bore them to tears with stories uh, about how we first met. Uh, It was the year 1997. Uh, Seinfeld was the number one TV show. Uh, Our own Pat Rafter had won the US Open. Backstreet Boys were at the top of the charts, and believe it or not, you could get a large latte in Melbourne for under two bucks. It was a good time to be alive. I was 18 years of age, I just got my peas, and a friend of mine uh, who lived in a, like a two-story house at a tennis court and a pool, she got news that her parents were going to be away for the weekend. So to a group of Christian guys and girls, this meant one thing and one thing only, board games. 
So here I am uh, with a WWJD wristband in the living room, a fair parents' living room, playing a wild game of Jenga. You remember the game Jenga? Right, you got to build up the tower blocks one by one, take out the pieces. If the, you know, the tower falls, you're out. If it stays, you go on. For most people, it's a lighthearted, fun game. For me, this is the closest I get to the Olympics, so I'm all in, right? I'm focused. And one by one, people are being eliminated until there are just two people left, me and a giggly young girl with a beautiful smile named Vanessa. And as she kicks back her long blonde hair, I think to myself, I'm going to destroy you. (laughs) And as it would happen, the tower came down only on my turn. She won, but a relationship was born. Uh, No mood lighting, uh, no candles, no Michael Buble playing in the background. Uh, We became great friends. And this year, uh, we celebrated 21 years of marriage together. I kid you not, Vanessa's mum congratulated me saying, huh, didn't think you guys would make it. So that was... uh, (laughs) That was nice. She, of course, said it tongue-in-cheek because she knows, as I'm sure many people here know, marriage comes with no guarantees. It's a wild ride. And there are great, you know, highlight moments and great memories, but also a lot of challenging times. And in my own marriage, times where both of us were unsure whether we would make it through. So kind of the questions we're wrestling with, and they love you to put through your own questions. We'll have time for that later. Like, how do you build a marriage that lasts? And, and if you're thinking about married, marriage, who should you be looking for? What are the qualities and characteristics you might look for in the one? Uh, I, for those of you taking notes, four headings to, to navigate our time. We're going to talk about the blessing of marriage, the pursuit of marriage, the marks of marriage, and the hope of marriage. So I want to start with the blessing of marriage. So Proverbs 18, 22, the father sits with his son and this is what he says. He says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now this word good in, in Hebrew speaks of joy and, and happiness. Uh, it's actually related to other words like prosperity and fulfillment. It's a word that speaks of blessing. And so here in Proverbs, the the father is saying to the son, hey, marriage is a good thing. Now, notice he doesn't say it's the only thing. He doesn't say it's the ultimate thing, right? We know from the Bible in the Old and New Testament that there are many women and many men who live full and adventurous and blessed lives who chose not to be married. Right? So he's careful, the dad is careful to say to his son, hey, it's not the only thing, it's not the ultimate thing, but he does want him to know it's a good thing. Marriage is a good thing. And I wanted to underscore that because I think in a post-Christian culture, it's likely that you will be told the exact opposite. Right? There's a lot of media today, you know, particularly if I can say aimed at young men, that's going to try and tell men not to get married. It's a bad thing when actually the Bible says it's a good thing. Right? I, I kid you not, when I was studying at Bible college, 
One of my good mates at Bible college, uh, you know, long-term girlfriend, they got engaged. They got, you know, and, and he was really excited and I was really excited for him. And we thought, you know what, we should celebrate. We go to the local pub as all good Bible students do. And, and we walk on in and he goes up to the, the, the guy behind the bar, which he actually knew. And he said, guess what? I'm getting married. And without skipping a beat, the barman said to him, why on earth would you go and do something as stupid as that? Right? And that should not surprise us because that's like the mantra of our culture. Uh, You know, in our culture today, you don't find a happy, fulfilled, married man. Happiness is what? It's, It's love without commitments. It's freedom without limits. This is what I love about Proverbs, this, this counter-cultural message. He doesn't tell his son to avoid marriage. He doesn't say, get out while you can. The father says marriage is a good thing. And that word's really interesting in the early chapters of Genesis. We're told that when the Lord made the world, it was good. The stars, the, the fish, and the sunsets, and sun, it, it's good. But you know this one thing the Lord says, is not good. Do you remember what that one thing is? He looks at Adam and he says what? It's not good that he is alone. And what is the Lord's solution to that? How does the Lord deal with Adam's aloneness? Well, in Genesis, we read this. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place and flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. That's a beautiful scene. Up until this point, he's surrounded by pigs and goats and occasional giraffes. That's all he's seen. But here in this moment appears Eve. She steps out of the car. It's as if the whole scene for me goes into slow motion. As he sees her for the very first time, as she kicks back her hair, as she walks towards him, and his jaw hits the, draw, uh, the, the floor. Right? He actually says, this bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, which in Hebrew is, is a song. He's so in awe of Eve that that he sings. And what does God call Eve? What does the Lord call Eve? She refers to her as Adam's helper. Now, many women are not thrilled by that, which is understandable. But it's worth saying that the same word in the Old Testament is used to describe God himself. Just as God comes alongside Israel to be a source of strength and encouragement and power. So God created Eve to be Adam's helper. And to say that Eve is Adam's helper is to point out what women have always known, namely men need help. Right? How many of you, men, how many of us are going to admit that? Not many, right? A few hands, good men. Right? Men need help. It's true. And that's why Proverbs lifts up marriage as a good thing, because the son is going to need help. And it's the woman's wisdom alongside 
the husband, that, that helps him think clearly and navigate tough decisions. It's going to be her gifts that complement his gifts. It's going to be her encouragement that lifts him up. It's going to be her faith that inspires his faith. It helps him grow. And of course, we know, we've seen this already, Proverbs is shaped around a father talking to a son, but equally, we could say the same thing to, to, to women as well. I, I myself have got two boys, but also two girls. And, and I want them to know that uh, if they choose to get married, it's a good thing. And, and, and that the husband, according to the Bible, is there to, to serve her, to treasure her, to pray for her, to use his gifts and resources, to, to lift her up, to lay down his life for her and, and to be there. And together that they might partner together to build something, something great. Is marriage the only thing? No, but it is a good thing. And this leads to the second point. I want to talk about the pursuit of marriage. So suppose you're here and you say, I, I, I want to get married. I want to get married. The obvious question that then follow up from that is, well, then who? Who should I marry? Who, who, what kind of person should I be looking for? Um, this is where the digital age uh, has radically changed the landscape. Uh, dating apps, as, as many of you know, uh, make it you know, super easy to meet people on a similar journey. Just a swipe of your finger and you're there, you're connecting with other singles and, and I get that. But, but there's a catch, isn't there? There's a real catch. More and more people are now, are now judging future husband, their future wife, based on the quality of a profile pic. According to recent studies on dating apps themselves, the number one attribute that people are now looking for is physical appearance. Ask yourself, what does that mean? It means that people are not only scrambling to find the best profile pic that they can get, but even more concerning, a very small percentage of people are getting all the attention while thousands of amazing people are being overlooked. Now, is it a sin to seek out someone who you're physically attracted to without considering their character? No, it's just stupid. Look at the loving, poetic words of the father to the son on this very issue. He says, son, let me tell you something. Bring this up. A woman, a woman who is beautiful but lacks discretion, is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. Isn't the Bible amazing? <laughs> what an image, right? Think about it. Beauty, physical appearance is like gold. And what is gold? Oh, it's attractive. It shines. It's, it's valuable. We're all trying to reach out for it. I want to touch it. But listen, only an idiot would take hold of one that's attached to a pig. I know in some cultures that a pig is a revered animal. Uh, personally, I love pigs. Uh, if not for pigs, we wouldn't have bacon. So, <laughs> but the point in Jewish culture is that the pig is, is loathed as an, an animal. So what's the, what's the meaning for relationships? What's the advice here? He's saying, hey, listen, it doesn't matter if you think you're 
girl is, you know, super hot, if she's cruel and selfish, if she's self-absorbed, unkind, mate, let go, walk away. The same has to be said about men or you women here today looking for a guy. I mean, you might seem, oh, he's got arms like Thor. Bank account the size of Elon Musk. Wow. But he's actually a total jerk. He doesn't treat you with kindness. He's not there to encourage you, to lift you up. It's, he's manipulative. He's self I mean, we could just go on. What's the advice? Hey, <laughs> let go of the gold ring and walk away. According to Proverbs, and it speaks a lot about attraction, beauty, physical appearance, uh, isn't just fleeting, it's often deceptive. It's often deceptive. Okay, so, so what does that mean? Well, listen, at the very least, hear me on this, at the very least, when it comes to dating, don't let physical appearance be the lens through which you evaluate a future husband or wife. Get to know them. <laughs> Don't just look on the outward appearance. Get to know their heart. Get to know the soul of a person. All right, here's something. You could today be sitting just a few rows away from the man or woman of your dreams. And yet so many people won't see that or enter into that because their standard for beauty and appearance is just paper thin. You've got to get to know people. You've got to give people a go. Do you know that when I met Vanessa, we were just mates for the first year. We hung out, sometimes with groups of people, sometimes just us, but we hung out as Mates, and the longer we spent together, the more I began to see her, the more she began to see me. Do you know when I knew that she was the one? It's quite a romantic story. I had gastro. <laughs> like really bad. Like really bad gastro, like I'm at the emergency room in the hospital, bad. Right, I know people look for a hot partner. I was a hot mess. Right, I'm on the, the, the hospital bed. I've got tubes into my arms. I've got vomit to my left. Like, it's just a, a mess. And into my hospital room walks my friend, <laughs> Vanessa. And she ain't wearing a red dress. <laughs> She's, you know, hasn't done all her hair and makeup. But she entered in and came to my side amidst my spew and vomit and placed her hand on mine. And I tell you, honestly, in that moment, I'm like, this is the woman I want to marry. This is the woman for me. Because you know what? Be honest with you, marriage is not a photo shoot. <laughs> right? Marriage is not just your Instagram real highlight. Like It's got those moments, but marriage is ultimately a lot of vomit and spew together. Yes, hugs and kisses, but mainly vomit and spew. So then, <laughs> who do you look like? What do you look for in some? How, like, what are the kind of, well, this is where Proverbs does not hold back, right? It, this, this 
streams of insight and, and wisdom. And we could go anywhere in Proverbs, maybe check this out in gospel communities, but let's like Proverbs 31 is full of insight. Again, talking to a son about a future wife, this, he kind of holds up an excellent wife and he says, for example, uh, she does him good <laughs> and not harm all the days of her life. What does that mean? Well, she's reliable. Uh, she's trustworthy. She's there. Uh, or what about verse 15? Love this. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. Right? So the wife in Proverbs just doesn't spend her day powdering her nose. She's industrious. She's intelligent. She knows how to negotiate and wheel and deal. She knows how to generate wealth for the family. And here's what I love is that she doesn't just use the wealth for her family. She's also got a hand out for the poor in the community. Uh, Verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy. I love that generous spirit. She receives from the Lord, but she's looking to make a difference in this world. And that goes hand in hand with her words of wisdom. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Now, is Proverbs 31 a realistic and attainable vision for women and men? Not exactly. Uh, As we learned in the opening week, Proverbs 31 is a personification of wisdom. It's a picture for us all of what a good and flourishing life is all about. That being said, it does clue us into the certain characteristics and qualities that we want to cultivate in ourselves, but we also want to see and cultivate in a partner. And, and listen, what is at the top of the tree? You know, when you're reading the Bible, what, what is the, the one thing we should be seeking after cultivating more than anything else. Well, notice what the father says at the end of chapter 31. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. One of the questions I get asked, and I know it's a controversial one, is whether it's okay to date someone who isn't a Christian. Um, the truth of the matter is that there's no one Bible verse that speaks directly about that. Uh, the Ten Commandments don't say, "Thy shall not date a non-Christian. But this is where Proverbs is so helpful because Proverbs is less concerned with laws and regulations and more concerned with wise living. So is dating an unbeliever a sin? No, it's just dumb. It's unwise. Why? If you get to the point, if you get to the point where you would like to marry your boyfriend or like to marry your girlfriend, you are going to face a very real and heartbreaking dilemma. You'll need to either break up with that person, which is devastating for them and for you, Or you will have to enter into a marriage knowing that what is most important to you, namely Jesus, can't be shared with your closest friend. They don't believe what you believe. 
They can't practice what you practice. They can't support what is central to your life. And so either there is a compromise in the unity of the marriage or there needs to be a compromise in your relationship with Jesus. The, the husband, the boyfriend moves in. He needs to be pushed to the margins. Now, are there exceptions here? Perhaps, but given the choice, given who to marry, a wise man, a wise woman seeks after a person who fears the Lord. More than money, more than beauty, more than career progress. You want a woman, you want a man who loves Jesus. And is eager to build their life around him. Some of you will be asking, where might you meet a man like that? Where might you meet a woman? Where are you going to find someone who knows Jesus and is eager to make him known? Welcome to City on a Hill. I want you to know this church has great men and women who love Jesus and want to meet a godly partner and live a wise and godly life. Is that going to happen by accident? I doubt it. Similar to what I said on the topic of friendship applies here. Let's be intentional and purposeful. Uh, If you're a single man and you want to get married, let me encourage you to be brave and ask someone out. I know that's scary, uh, but give it a go. And if you're a woman here and a guy is brave enough to ask you out on a date, uh, why not say yes? Oh, one of my good friends said that when she was single, she had a one-date policy, which meant it didn't matter who asked her out, she always said yes. And, and I love that because it means that you're giving them and you're giving yourself a chance. And again, the goal is to get to know someone, to see them. I know you have a bunch of questions about dating. Fun fact, the team are hosting a uh, Dating in the Digital Age seminar uh, in October. uh, So look out for that as well. But I'll move on to a third point, which is the marks of marriage. Because the father in Proverbs not only talks to his son about the blessing and how you might, you know, who you might be looking for, but he now leans in to give wisdom on how to strengthen your marriage. How do we grow it? How do we, how do we help a, a marriage fly and, and, and flourish? And there's, again, so much wisdom here. For example, Proverbs 12 says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who plot evil, but those who promote peace have joy. Or, what about Proverbs 21.9? Father says to his son, Better to live on a corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Anyone slept on the roof lately? A couple of hands, all right. <laughs> now, this proverb could be read as a bit of a warning to avoid, you know, shacking up with, you know, a woman who's always bitter and always angry. But it's helpful to know that when it comes to marriage, the question is not if you will fight, but but when and, and how you will fight. I remember one Friday afternoon, um, a hot day, long week, came home, and for whatever reason, and I honestly can't remember, Nessa and I were, Vanessa and I were, were just at each other's throats. 
right? And sometimes that's what, how fighting works in a marriage. You don't even know why you're fighting. You're just quarreling and all of that. And, and I just didn't have the energy at the time. So I put up my walls, fired off some defensive arrows and just kind of walked away. Did that help? <laughs> no. Now, so we're quarreling some more. And eventually I'm like, ah, oh, I can't take this anymore. Go outside. And I kid you not, I climbed the roof. And I sat there in my own frustration. It was the end of the day and I'm sitting there by myself, you know, like this on the roof. Uh, I have no idea what the neighbors thought if they were walking by. Uh, If they were reading Proverbs, they knew. Um, But here I am just seething and getting frustrated. And ah, she said this and blah, blah, all this kind of stuff. And then I'm sitting on the the roof and I'm I'm angry and and I'm looking out on like the horizon over the trees and and I see the sun is setting and as I'm looking at it, I'm like, ah, oh, this reminds me of a Bible verse. Uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 4, in fact, uh, says this, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. <laughs> Here I am, literally looking at the sun going down <laughs> on my anger. Uh, and so what is required in that moment? What is required of any husband when a wife is frustrated and angry? You don't ignore the quarreling. You don't run and hide, you get down off the roof and you pursue each other. You listen to one another, you work out what's underneath the issue and you acknowledge your wrong, you confess your sin, you listen, you learn and you pursue peace. Sometimes this can be done in one conversation, other moments require repeated conversations. In some situations, you you actually need a third party, someone to help you navigate and pursue this peace together. And, and listen, this is where grace is so vital for Christians in marriage. Proverbs 17 says this, Love prospers, love prospers when a fault is given, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Grace is so vital in a marriage. You know, you've got one sinner, you've got another sinner, and they say, I do. That doesn't equal happily ever after. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be times when one person hurts the other. A Christian, a Bible-centered marriage is one where you're drinking freely from the goodness of God's grace. You know what else you need? Praise and words of affirmation. Proverbs 21 says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be what? Praised. Husbands, let me ask you, do you praise your wife? When you see qualities in, your, in her life that reflect the glory of God, do you take a moment to, to speak into that, to acknowledge that, to affirm that, to, to praise her? Wives, when you see qualities in your man, when you see him reflecting the character of Christ, do you take a moment to say, man, I love this in you. I affirm this in you. I praise this in you. Like I guarantee if you're in a relationship long enough, you're going to begin to see faults and flaws. And sometimes a marriage can get stuck because that's all a couple talks about. The 101 things that you're doing wrong. The 101 things that she's doing wrong. And you can just talk about all of these wrong things. In fact, you can only see these wrong things. Let me encourage you to find one thing in your husband. 
or one thing in your wife that you can affirm and start there. Have a practice of praise in your household where, where, where you declare the goodness of God that you see in them. Because here's what I know. What you celebrate, what you speak into, you create. Right? If you spend your days just cutting your man down, telling him he's weak, he's a loser, he's this and that, that's what you're going to draw out. That's what you're going to sow. For you men, if you just belittle her, tell her she's ugly, tell her she's ordinary, tell her she's a disappointment, that's what you're going to draw out. But affirm her, praise him, and watch the relationship fly. Listen to the wisdom of Proverbs 18. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So ask yourself, do you speak discouragement and death into this person? Do you speak discouragement and death into this marriage? Or are you choosing right now to declare and speak life? And here's what I've noticed. When there is a fountain of encouragement and praise in a relationship, you're not only building that person up, but you are drawing each other closer together. And you're creating an environment where you can enjoy the intimacy and love that you're created to know and enjoy. Look at how Proverbs 5 pieces this together. It says, may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. One of the surprising discoveries about Christianity, uh, it's helpful for you who are exploring Jesus and coming to church for the time. One of the surprising discoveries is God not only made marriage, but has blessed a man and a woman with the gift of sex. Can we say that at church? Right? God created sex. It was his idea. I know some of you grew up in churches where they never talked about sex. Or if they did, it was always sinful and bad. And then sometimes you went to churches where uh, it was just confusing messages like uh, sex is gross and vile. Save it for the one you love. Like, how do you piece this together? Listen, when God made Adam, he fashioned him exactly how he wanted him to be. That included a strong chest, muscular arms, and brace yourselves, the penis. Can we say that at church? (laughs) I don't know. Right? Listen, the penis was not a mistake. It was not the devil's idea. No, the penis was God's idea. What do I do with it? Says Adam. (laughs) He creates Eve. And she's intelligent, she's brave, she's creative, and she's also formed as a sexual being. She has curves, she has breasts, right? And who, listen, whose idea was it to put the naked man in the garden with the naked woman? It was God's idea. And what do you suppose they did in the garden? They prayed and read their Bibles. 
after that. They had romantic, extended, passionate, loving sex. And I wanted to underscore that for you because we're living in a culture now that's telling us that the best sex is the sex without covenant and commitment. Just a roam free, do what you want. I mean, if you listen to Sex in the City or download Andrew Tate, that's the kind of worldview you're going to get, right? But there are actually countless studies, and not just from Christians, but secular people who will tell you that it's actually married couples who have the most frequent sex and the best and most satisfying sex. Why do I point that out? Because again, the father in Proverbs wants his son to live life well. He doesn't want him to drink the Kool-Aid of culture. He wants him to know that God is not a killjoy. He wants him to fly in and flourish. And that's why if you're married here today, you want to be pursuing each other. In the way you did in your dating years, now that you're married, pursue each other. This looks like regular date nights. This looks like surprise nights away. This looks like love notes under the pillow and helping out around the house. This looks like deep connection over good food and and wine. This looks like massages and candles, cuddles and kisses. There's a coming together that the Bible is calling you to pursue. And of course, for the father in Proverbs, it's it's not just to pursue your wife. It's also be careful when it comes to the counterfeit love and the temptation of lust. This is actually all through Proverbs. Here's just one. He says, For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. You know, if you're a newlywed here, you might think, I would never cheat. Oh, my man, I would never have uh, an affair. Um, Let me just say that few people start out on their wedding day thinking that's a possibility. Most marriage, if not all marriages, start full of affection and commitment and hope and promise and love and all of those things. But what happens? Well, over time, there can be a slow and subtle drift. You start taking each other for granted. You stop dating your wife. You stop pursuing your husband. And the pressures of life begin to push and pull. The disappointments and disagreements begin to mount. And so what seemed inconceivable at first is now a living, breathing reality. Temptation in your life could come in the form of a pursuit of another man or woman. It could be the allure of online pornography, the brothel in your own phone. It could be the offer of a one-night stand. These temptations will come, but the word of Proverbs is, don't go that way. Don't... Don't dishonor God, but don't bury yourself in the sand. It's, it's dangerous. It will destroy you. Keep away. Fourth and final point before we take some questions. We talk about the hope. The hope of marriage. It's true, isn't it, that we can have a range of responses 
uh, when it comes to a topic like marriage. For some, I'm sure there's a sense of thankfulness. Maybe you're with your husband or wife now and you're hand, holding hands. You're like, wow, this is great. I'm so thankful. And that's awesome. And we, we praise God for that. But I'm sure that for some of us, the topic of marriage can also awaken in us a, a deep sense of, of longing. Where you hear the great qualities of a husband and wife and say, yes, I, I want that. I, I need that. Uh, but then we look at our lives and, and we see nothing. So I don't have the, the marriage that the Bible holds up as a blessing. And maybe you had it once, but it fell apart and it's no longer there. Or maybe it was never there to begin with. And so either way, you're kind of feeling like you're looking on from a distance. Or... Perhaps you are married, perhaps you are married, but it's anything but what you'd hoped and dreamed. And that might be owing to your husband and wife and maybe things they have done and said, or if you're really honest, maybe you can see in yourself that you haven't been the husband or wife that the Bible holds up. Maybe you haven't loved at all times. Maybe you haven't always uh, spoken the truth. Maybe you never were brave enough to work through those complex or difficult moments. Maybe you're holding on to bitterness, but, but you recognize that. So what do we do with those emotions? What do we do with our longings, our failings? Uh, well, the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, um, Jesus walks in and performs a series of miracles. Do you know where Jesus performs his first miracle in the Gospel of John? At a wedding. At a wedding. It's like we're all dressed up at a great reception venue in the city. And and everything's looking amazing. People are looking amazing. People are dancing. The music's going. Uh, But then the bride and groom, they run out of wine. They run out of wine. And, and you can hear them in the corner, like they're bickering over this. They're complaining. It's like, you know, you were supposed to organize this. You told me I couldn't spend that much. And they're fighting in the corner because they've run out of wine. And the parents, well, they're embarrassed now. They've got all their family there. They don't want to look right. They're embarrassed in front of their family. And the people now are like, hey, where's the drinks? They're starting to complain. And so all of a sudden, this, this, this wedding, this day where everything is supposed to be perfect, is starting to kind of unravel before their eyes. And there's Jesus. And he's wearing an amazing suit. And he's there. Right? I love this about Jesus. Like he, like he, it's not my hour. It's not my, he's got other big things to do, but he's there. And, and I love that what is seemingly a trivial, somewhat domestic issue, he, he doesn't walk away from that. He's like, oh, you know what? I can sort this. Hey, can you grab me six of those uh, jars that we use for purification? And temp- can you just, you know, those jars, can you fill those six jars with water? And, and I want you just to bring them over here. And so they're like rolling their eyes thinking this is crazy. They get them, they pour them out, and, and what do they see? They don't see water coming out from these jars. They see deep, rich, beautiful wine. <laughs> Not your cheap cask wine from Dan Murphy's. The best, beautiful wine And so the music starts again and people start dancing and they start celebrating and there's joy and laughter in the room. Now, why did John include this miracle? Why of all, there was lots of miracles he didn't include. Why this one and why start here? 
Well, in part, it's a sign of Jesus' power, but also, and more importantly, a sign of his transformative love. Jesus can walk into, listen, he can walk into the messiness of any relationship, the messiness of any wedding, any marriage, and he can turn that situation from water into wine. He can take a dry and dreary relationship and make it flow. He can take situations and people who are empty and he can fill them up. And that is not even the best part. The best part of the miracle is a sign of things to come. You see, these jars of purification were given to Israel to wash them and make them clean. It's what they used in ceremonies to prepare them so that they could enter into the temple of God and enter into his presence. But here's Jesus declaring that I have come to make all things new. I have come to do something better. Where he doesn't just change the ceremonies and symbols, but came to change and transform us. Do you know what is true for every married person and every single person today? It is that you and I, we are all made for love. Made for love. We have a deep thirst for love. Not a cheap counterfeit love. A love that knows us completely and loves us deeply, a love that declares truth at all times, a love that is willing to praise and lift up, a love that is able to forgive, a love that is there at all times, a love that pursues and protects, is strong and secure. And this is where friendship gets us close, but not close enough. This is where family gets us close, but not close enough. This is where marriage gets us close, but not close enough. This is love, says John. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know, when it comes to marriage or any relationship, we can talk about the issues of truth-telling and jealousy and bitterness. We can talk about a sexualized culture that's drawing people away and the busyness of life and pride and envy and all of those things. But fundamentally, the issue in John is our sin. In sin, we reject God's way and live our own way, and that fractures relationships. Jesus came to make all things new. He came to deal with our sin. He came to meet us with love. He came to turn water into wine. And you know what's amazing? At the end of the story, the end of this story called life, we who are in Jesus, we don't just go to heaven. We celebrate. And what do we celebrate The wedding supper of the Lamb. Your wedding day on earth may have been a train wreck. Uh, Some of us may never have the chance to have our own wedding day. But City on a Hill, a day is coming 
a day is coming where we will all put on our best outfits, our finest suits, our most stunning dresses, and we will all hear the bells ring and that door open, and we will all enter the hall and celebration, the wedding banquet of the King. Do you know what has helped Christians throughout the ages remain faithful in marriage? Do you know what's helped husbands and wives love sacrificially? Do you know what has inspired those who are not married to live bold, adventurous, life-giving lives? It is the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. It is knowing and tasting that the Lord is good. Do you know this love? Are you pursuing this love? I'll give you a moment to stand and stretch, and then we'll be back for some questions. All right, I hope you've had a chance to have a very quick stretch. Um, we apparently got lots and lots and lots of questions, so we're just going to dive, Let's dive straight in. into it. Dive in. All right, question one. Is there really someone who is the one? And if so, how do I know they are the one? Great question. Um, The person you marry is the one. That's how you know they're the one, right? You've married them. They're now your one. Um, I... I think, you know, I I trust in the sovereignty of God and in his leading and guidance and in things like this. Um, But I honestly believe it. Like, I married Vanessa, so she is my one. And I encourage you to think of it in that way. Uh, I think it's unhelpful to think about the one as this perfect soulmate that's somewhere out there. um, And, you know, they're they're perfect in every way. They complete you in every way. Uh, Actually, I just think that's an unhelpful, unrealistic expectation uh, to place on anyone. Um, I'm flawed. I'm broken. I've got mess. I've got past. I've got present issues. Like, it's just, I'm I'm a complex person. And and the reality is I'm going to meet another complex person, beautiful, but also complex. And so rather than thinking, oh, are they the one? Because culturally, that's really, that's a lot of pressure at that point. Uh, Paradox of choice kicks in and we're constantly looking over someone's shoulder. Um, The things that we've talked about today are the things I would encourage you to look after. Um, you know, friendship is so key in marriage. Um, so look for someone that you love spending time with. Uh, look for someone who uh, is, is, is eager to, 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 to walk life with you and encourage you and challenge you and, and help you grow. Yeah. Great answer. All right. Question two. What do you do when you want sex and my spouse does not? Whew. Covering all topics today. That's great. Um, really hard to sometimes answer these questions and not knowing the context behind this. Um, I think it's true to say, uh, as you know, I've been married 21 years, you go through seasons and cycles in your uh, journey. Sometimes there's great sex, sometimes there's boring sex, sometimes there's no sex. Um, and often what's really important to do in, in, in a couple is talk about sex 
um, and uh, you know, expectations can be different. One person thinks, hey, I'm happy to have sex X times a month or whatever it is, and this person thinks that. So I think at a basic level, just talking about expectations. In the book of Corinthians, so a few more things I want to say here. In the book of Corinthians, it talks about you know, my body not belonging to me, um, but actually I'm now one flesh with my wife and, 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 and same, you know, her body, it's, it's, it's together, there's a oneness now. And so I'm urged as the husband not to deprive my wife and, and, and vice versa with her. Um, and so the, the wisdom there is, hey, you should be having sex and you should be pursuing sex. So that's an important thing. And, uh, but what I would say is I think it's really helpful to underneath, uh, explore underneath the question underneath this. So, like, if we were having a pastoral chat, like, to explore, well, what do you think that is? Why do you think you're not having sex? And there's, there's some of those things. And then what could you do to build a culture or context of intimacy? You know, um, I, I remember someone saying, you know, before you touch her body, touch her soul. Like, connect with her in a deep and profound way to create a context and environment where that could be um, pursued some more. So, uh, I think... I've shared a few things that might be of some help, but again, if you want to chat to me in, uh, after this to, to hear a bit more, I'd love to do that. Mm-hmm. All right. Question three. I'm in a loving and caring relationship with a man who does not want to get married. We have been together for 13 years and everything is perfect, but I want to be married to him. What should I do? These are good questions. <laughs> Isn't life rich? Yeah. Um, well, thank you, firstly, for sharing that. Look, I think um, I'm trying to... Yeah. So, like I said, culturally, I just like one thing in defense of the guy here. Um, a lot of guys are told to avoid commitment, young guys. Um, and I think it's fair to say some of us, you know, myself included, grew up in a generation where we've seen a lot of divorce and a lot of pain, and a lot of difficulty there. And so it's like, in, you know, financially it's difficult, relationship it's different. So there's a lot of like pressure saying, don't do it. Like I said, at the top of the message, don't get married. So I think it's important to kind of explore a little bit there uh, to understand the reasons, um, to listen. And again, this is probably one of those moments where it's, you can do it together, but probably a third party is going to be helpful. Uh, and to get some real honesty to understand why. I think it's not... Um, I, I, like that's a very long time to have not made a commitment toward marriage and I think at some point you need to kind of have a line in the sand moment um, where you say look I'm going to be with you if we're going in this direction and I think a, a realistic and helpful timeline is important here and this is where I stand and I think you need to be courageous enough to have that honest conversation Britt what do you think would you add to that I, I think you covered it All right. really well. And not just as a cop-out, but I think that is you sure. kind of covered the, yeah. the big points. And I think um, maybe these are the times when it is hard with these questions that we don't, um, yeah, we don't know uh, the full situation, the no, full scenarios. There's, um, and so feel free to come and talk to one of us or to someone that you um, really trust, I think would be my, my advice. Yeah, there's just so many things. Like, what are you wait- if you're the guy, like, what are you actually waiting? What are you expecting to see before you say, I'm in? Mm. Um, and really being honest about that. And um, if, you, if you're not ever conceiving of an, a path where you're going to get married, um, I think it's a little bit cruel to just keep dating for that long. All right, question four, and probably a final question. Um, given there are masses more single Christian women than men, is marriage, let alone a good marriage, something it's wise for single women, Christian women, to consider realistically attainable these days? 
Yeah. Good question. What do you think, Britt? Would you like me to answer this? <laughs> Why don't you start? Um, yeah, I think it is um, the data does suggest that in churches generally, there is a higher proportion uh, of women than men. Um, we could explore the reasons for that, and that would be fascinating. Um, but that's not the question that's here. But that is just what data yeah. does tell us. Um, and that is the case even here at City on a Hill, I'm pretty sure, when we have looked at the numbers. Um, and so I think that what that means is that, yeah, there, there potentially is going to be a higher proportion of women um, who aren't married or who don't get married. Um, but I think in general, we also just need to acknowledge that in the church, there are single people in all sorts of circumstances, both genders. Um, and so, is Christian Women the Moon, sorry, I'm making sure I'm answering the question, um, is it realistically attainable? I think for all of us in life, uh, we have to think of what are the, the good promises of God that we can be so sure of. And like mm. Ephesians 1, it talks about these spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. You talked about the end, about how we get to look forward to this like wedding supper where all of us, all of our, those desires for love, for intimacy will be fulfilled. And that's what is promised to us. I wonder if it's a bit of a cultural lie that um, we're all going to get married. You're all going to get all the desires of yeah. your heart. Um, and I think that uh, marriage is not something that is promised to anyone. Um, and there's so few things in this world that are promised to us. Um, and so I think and it's so easy because our, our culture tells us to, like we just grow up using words like when I get married, mm. um, not if I get married. You, I really liked it in your sermon. You said, if my kids choose to get married or maybe, I don't know, circumstances are, and not having this just default position where we feel entitled to it, we expect it. It's a good gift and it is definitely okay um, to want it, to pursue it, be intentional about that. But I think we get into dangerous territory when we come to expect it. Um, and so I think... One thing I found, I'm single, and one thing I've found helpful, um, I don't know if I'll get married or not, um, but there's this really beautiful, comforting part in 1 Corinthians 7, where basically Paul is addressing different groups, uh, single, married, if you're uh, widowed, and he basically says, stay as you are. Um, and there's this kind of confusing part in the middle where he talks about like, I wish I had a Bible with me, I don't, but like those who mourn as if you do not, or those who are married act as if you're not, and you're like, Paul, what are you talking about? But he's talking about this idea that one day there is a future reality that is mm. coming. We're living in this now, mm. but not yet. And so what he's saying is, Live your lives. So if you're married, be married. You know, like it's, if you're single, be single. Live your lives, but don't hold on to these things mm. as if they are everything. That's right. Um, and I think that's so, because he says there is better coming. Mm. Um, and so, and that we could put like, don't hold on to your wealth as if it's everything. Don't hold on to your possessions. Don't hold on to your career and don't hold on to your marital status. You know, like right. as if it's everything. Um, and so I think, is it realistically attainable? I, I don't know what's going to happen. And I know that might be hard to hear. There aren't any guarantees. But whether you're single or married, let's not be holding well, on to that like it's everything. Awesome. That's Great, my, word. Uh, Great word. Great oh. <laughs> word. Great word. Um, Why don't we uh, stand? The band's going to lead us in song. I might pray for us all. Father, thank you for uh, the glory of the gospel. And I, I do pray, Lord, that you would meet us now in that very powerful way as Brit has just declared. Um, help us know your love. Help us know your life. Help us know the, the hope that we have in Jesus. Uh, would you meet us right now by the power of your spirit? Fill us, Lord, that we might be secure and content in you. Uh, and, and desiring more of you, Lord. So meet us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.